All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation, and particularly healing again this morning. Uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings and their contributions. Uh, in case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the top page. Uh, top of the page uh, where it says Give. It's highlighted in blue, and you can give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the footer of every page on our website is our mailing address. If you're in the United States, just so you know, we are a 5168 church, so all your tax deductibles, I mean, all of your tax contributions are 100% tax deductible. But without further ado, I'm going to jump right into the message. I have a lot to cover. We've been talking about this great salvation for several months, almost half a year. And so, uh, let me just give a brief recap of what we've been covering over the last several months. <laughs> Excuse me, when we talk about such a great salvation, we define what salvation is as a gift and the gift of salvation. We talk about the purpose of salvation and we talk about the necessity of salvation as well as the benefits of salvation. And we've been on this part four for several months now. As uh, we, 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 as we talk about the benefits of salvation, I did a mini series on the benefits of salvation, how that relates to wholeness. And I'm still on, and we've been doing this for a couple months now on uh, the benefits of salvation regarding healing. And then uh, once we're done with this, but I have at least two more weeks left uh, after today, we'll, we'll be talking about the benefits of, benefits of salvation, how it relates to prosperity. So all, all this is under the subheading of the benefits of salvation. So again, like I said, we've been on this for a couple months now. We are rounding third base. We're on a homeward stretch to finishing this mini-series within the series on the benefits of salvation and how it relates to healing. Today I want to cover, and I've already uh, touched base on some of this already, but we're going to cover five controversial issues regarding healing that people come up with. These are not the only controversial issues, but they are the five, five that I'm going to deal with this morning. The first one, which I, <coughs> excuse me, the first one which I've already been dealing with last week is Paul's thorn in the flesh. Okay, I'm going to recap uh, most of that and reteach some of that this morning. Um, I'm not going to talk about the traditions of the men that I did in the last couple of weeks. But I'm going to begin into this one, then we'll be talking about these other four uh, Timothy stomach issues, Trophia, Trophimus, uh, Epaphroditus, uh, and also Elisha's illness. Okay, we'll be looking at those uh, at the latter end of this message. Okay, but see, there are traditions that this is. There are all these traditions that surround this issue of Paul's story of the flesh that many of us have heard uh, through the years, uh, through many various circles. Okay, and it's profound to me the habitual misunderstanding of this issue. And so we're going to do again, as we did last week, we're going to do something very novel and easy. Easy. We're going to look at the Word of God and allow the Word of God of Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay. And we are going to accept what the Word of God says above what anyone else has said. We are going to exalt the Word of God above what anyone else has said. Okay? If you listen to what everyone else said except for the Word of God, the devil will use that to put unbelief in your heart and cause you to waver. Not just about this subject, but that's true about any subject matter that we talk about. 
okay? If you believe Paul was sick or that he had a disease or had an, had an, an Asian eye disease, which we're going to deal with today, and, uh, or that he was humbled for his pride, and the list can go on and on, then the devil will cause your heart to believe, well, if Paul didn't get healed, then maybe I'm not going to get healed, okay? And so my purpose is not so much to nuke all the traditions. My purpose is to learn from the story of the flesh and how we can apply it to our lives, okay? In 2 Corinthians 10, 13, this is the context where this phrase, the thorn in the flesh, comes in. It actually comes in in chapter 12. But we have to consider the context, okay? And in the context, the full context of Paul's thorn in the flesh is that Paul had to vindicate himself to the Corinthian church. Why? Because false teachers and prophets had come to him, and they were bragging about who they were. <coughs> Excuse me. They were bragging about who they were. And they were bragging about their credentials. And so Paul comes along, and, and, and well, before I get there, they were because they were bragging, it wasn't so much that they were bragging about themselves, they were pulling people from the church into apostate condition. It wasn't that Paul was pray, playing this game with them, well, if you're going to show your credentials, I'm going to show my credentials. Uh, no, that, that's not the whole point. By showing you, bragging about the credentials, they were pulling other people down, and that's where Paul comes. That's where Paul steps in, because of their their because of their pride, because of their arrogance, because of their lack of other word foolishness. Uh, they were bringing other people down. Okay, but therefore Paul was forced to say some things that he did not want to say. Multiple times he said, "I don't want to talk like this," but you have forced me. He says that multiple times. In these four verse, four chapters, Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapters ten to thirteen, and because they were big on credentials, he gave them his own credentials. Okay, and so we pick it up with Second Corinthians chapter twelve, beginning with verse one, and, and it, he, from the very get go, from the beginning of the chapter, he says, "It is doubtless that not possible for me to boast." Paul sets the stage immediately that it's not profitable for him to boast. He says, "What I'm going to do is not profitable." He's not, he's not getting any profit of it, and it's not going to profit anyone by, by him boasting, okay? Um, and then he goes on to say, I will, come, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one who was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into the paradise. And, <coughs> excuse me, and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. If you saw heaven unveiled, you would not be able to articulate what you saw either. Okay? And so, that's just my footnote on that. He goes on to say, as such a one, I will boast. The one being capitalized, Jesus, God. Yet my, of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. But though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be, or hears from me. Over and over again in, this, in these four chapters, specifically this chapter, and in this context, he's saying, I am not going to boast. But I will only boast in my infirmities. And we're going to deal with that again this morning. Infirmities, you know, one of the things that I said last week, it's infirmities plural. It means there's more than one. 
Okay, it's not just talking about one specific thorn, one specific infirmity. Okay, and he goes on to say, "For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. I am not going to be a fool, even though many teachers on national TV, international TV, and, and, and media's have said Paul was a fool, and God had, and God had to make him humble." Okay, Paul said over and over, "I'm going going with what I'm going to go with what Paul said." Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How do I know it was anointed of the Holy Spirit? Because scripture, scripture says, Paul wrote it, but in 2 Timothy it says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. And I believe God anointed by the Holy Spirit, Paul, to write the words that he wrote, that we now consider scripture. If we don't believe what Paul wrote is, is scripture, then we need to throw out two-thirds of the New Testament. Okay, And I, I'm not going to go with that. Paul said, I'm going to do it full of stain, and I don't want to do it. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Let's go back to verses 5 and 6 real quick. But though I might desire to be a fool, but I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Verse 7. Unless I should be exalted by measure by the abundance of revelations. The abundance of revelation is involved in this thorn of the flesh, okay? He goes on to say, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, that's where the phrase comes from, and we're going to spend some time with that, a messenger of Satan to puppet me. And I'm going through this a little basket. We, we did this teaching last week, okay? So I'm going to go to, if you want a slower version, you need to look at last week's message, okay? Um, this thorn in the flesh that people said that was from God, Paul said it was a messenger of Satan. Okay? When Paul says it's a messenger of Satan, and we say it's a messenger of God, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? I'm going with the word of God, I'm going with what Paul said. Okay? It's not a messenger of God, it's a messenger of Satan. God did not send this thorn in the flesh. If you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with the word of God. Okay? It was a messenger of Satan. Okay? A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Okay? Lest I should be exalted above measure. I'll come back to the word buffet for, for a moment. But there, there was this messenger of Satan to, <coughs> excuse me, to buffet him lest I be exalted above measure. Satan's purpose in this, in this uh, thorn was to knock Paul down a notch. Satan was not happy about Paul being exalted. And some of us have an issue with that too. We're like, why is Paul being exalted? Why should anyone be exalted for that matter? Are we supposed to exalt God? If you were here with our worship service this morning, we had at least four songs talking about how we're going to exalt him this morning. And I'm all for that. I'm going to exalt God. I'm not going to exalt man. However, God can exalt us. We don't exalt us. We don't exalt man. We exalt God. Then God can exalt us. How? Well, first of all, in Psalm 89, verses 14 to 16, the Word of God says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. That's talk about jubilee. Excuse <coughs> me. And they walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance, and in your name they will rejoice all day long. In your righteousness, they are exalted. I do a whole teaching on this. I've done, I've taught on this verse, this passage, 
for the last eight years over and over and over again. So I'm not going to reteach this right now. You'll have to look in our archives, and I know before long I'm going to be teaching it again. Okay? But when we understand righteousness, and righteousness is the foundation of his throne, righteousness will exalt us. Okay? And uh, in proper order. Not, it's not exalting us above God. We exalt, it's exalted us into a right relationship. That's what righteousness is a right relationship with God. Because without God, without righteousness, we are we have no relationship with God. Okay? We're going to a devil's hell. But if we are righteous and the rights of God in Christ Jesus, then that we are exalted from death, spiritual death, to spiritual life in Christ Jesus. That is an exaltation. Salvation is an exaltation. And not in the sense that we're worshiping us, but in the sense that we are now in right relationship, sanctified, holy, sanctified in the presence of God. Anyone who's lost doesn't have Christ, they are in the lowest state you can be. But anyone who's in Christ is in the highest state they can be. They are a child of God. Being born again, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, is an exaltation. Okay? Peter says it this way. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he, not you, or anyone else, but that he may exalt you in due time. God, when God, <coughs> excuse me, when we're humbling ourselves, that's our job, he's the one that exalts us. We don't exalt us. Pride is a snare. Okay? And so, we're not talking about pride. We're talking about God will exalt us. But Satan saw Paul being exalted. How, you know, before I get here, how did Satan see Paul being exalted? And I'm speaking ahead of my notes. He was changing the world. He was changing lives. And we are still gleaning from Paul's teachings now. We're, we're talking about it this morning. Most of us came to Christ because we read either Romans or a letter of Paul or a preacher who was teaching a letter from Paul. And most of us came to salvation because of Paul's writings. Paul's still changing the world today through his letters. And Satan didn't like that. Okay? Um, he still doesn't like that. He goes on to say, Paul says, concerning this thing, what thing? The story. I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I could spend a lot of time on just this passage right here. His grace is sufficient. And yet many people have said, I've taught God is not God didn't answer his prayer. When has God never answered a prayer? God has always answered a prayer. And usually the answer is available before the need was ever there. We just gotta receive it. Okay? That's a whole other message I'm not gonna go to right now. Many have taught, God said, well, just live with it, Paul. My grace is sufficient. See, when we, people think that, that, they don't understand grace. Because God's grace is the same grace that can raise the dead. God's grace is what gave us salvation to begin with. God's grace is an unmerited favor. It's not something you can merit. It. Can, you can overcome sin. You can overcome sickness. You can overcome poverty. You can overcome anything. That, you can overcome any addiction. It's His grace that will set you free from the power of sin. Sin shall not reign over you because you're under grace, not the law. Grace is powerful. And His grace is more than sufficient. 
Paul would, God wasn't just telling Paul to live with it, my grace is sufficient. He wasn't just putting a bandaid on it and sweeping it under the carpet. He was not, his grace is the answer. And how, not only to overcome it, but also to prevail. Okay? He, he says, no, God's answer, his prayer says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is my power in your weakness. And again, I can spend a lot of time on this, and I need to. I'm just not going to do so this morning. Okay? And he said to me, my, and, and therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. He's mentioned it three times now. And reproaches and needs and persecutions. <coughs> Let me back down, back up for a moment. He's not, the thorn of the flesh was not just infirmities. Even though he mentioned that word three times. He expounds on it right here. I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and needs or necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Not just all these things in and of themselves. I mean, you know, sometimes you can get persecuted because you've actually brought it on yourselves. It has nothing to do with grace. Okay? And there's some other things, reproaches, that you've done because of your own sin or because of your own uh, just foolishness, whatever that would be. But he's talking about all doing all these things for Christ's sake. There's a difference. Okay? For where I am weak, then I am strong. You know? Again, I don't want to get sidetracked with this, but as in our, when we're weak, he's strong. Because when we are trying to be the strong one, God can't be strong in our lives because we are being Lord. We're being in control. But when we humble ourselves, let God be God in our lives, his power, his strength is made strong in our weakness. That makes sense? And so when we trust us to get out of the problem, when we trust us to overcome persecution and other things that we're going through, when we're trusting us, we're being the strong one. But when we are weak and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. I'm trusting you. I'm coming to you. I'm crying out to you for help, for wisdom, for guidance. When, he get, when we cry out to him, he might tell us something to do, a place to go, someone to say, someone to reach out to. And, but, but what started all that was that we, Lord, Lord, teach us what to do. Show us what to do. And then when he tells you what to do, do it. You know, you're still not the strong one. You're, the only reason why you overcame it is because you asked him what to do. He told you what to do, and you did it. It's not what you did that you overcame it. It's that you obeyed what he told you to do. Is that making sense? Come on, not uh, make a confused. I have become a fool in boasting. He did boast. But he said, he prefaced the saying, I'm going to be a fool in boasting. And then afterwards he says, I'm a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. He said that over and over again. <coughs> Excuse me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for nothing was I behind the most eminent apostle, though I am nothing. He goes on to say, Truly the signs of apostles were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I'm not going to go into all this teaching right now, um, but let's go back to verse 7 and 8. By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn was given to me, a measure of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted by measure. And concerning this thing, I plead with the Lord. Paul was saying, Paul was saying, that I was getting all of these revelations. I was being exalted. In other words, God was using me. 
Many, Paul was planting churches. Paul was seeing people saved, healed, delivered, all different things. He was being exalted in that way. God was using me, and I was reaching multitudes of people. And a messenger was sent by Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's what he's saying here in all this context. And we, we elaborated a lot of this last week. But if yet of myself, I would not boast except in my infirmities. I'm a little lost in my notes here. I want to get to this word buffet. That's what I want to get to. This word buffet. I explained it last week, but this word buffet, if you study on the Greek and even in the English dictionary, it means to wrap with a fist. It means to beat repeatedly. The best way I can explain it is like the waves of the ocean. The waves go out and they hit again, the seashore. They go out and they hit again. Have you ever seen the waves? They don't just hit it once and then stop till, the, till next time tomorrow. No, they keep doing it over and over. The, the winds, the winds. The winds and the waves are buffeting that seashore again and again and again. Okay? And this thorn in the flesh was a messenger sent by Satan, and his purpose was to bring Paul down because he was being exalted. And he did this. What, what, what was this messenger saying? It was this buffeting that was happening again. It, it wasn't just a one time thing, it was. Infirmities, plural. It happened again and again and again and again. It buffeted him continually. That's what the word buffet is. You can't just have something buffeted one time. It's not buffet. We're not going to uh, a meal. It's buffet. But even a buff buffet, even though we're not talking about that, it's a it's a. You can go back to the buffet again and again and again and again until you're full. Okay. But. Lest I should be exalted by measure by the abundance of revelations. And because of this, and then a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And we all automatically think God gave it to him when he specifically said, No, Satan gave, gave me this. We, we give God the credit for something Satan did. Okay? And we think, a lot of people have taught that, it, how many Christians don't understand revelation knowledge? They think that he was being humble because he got this revelation knowledge by God. So God gave him revelation knowledge, and now that God gave him revelation knowledge, God's going to humble him? How, how cruel. I was, if that was going to happen, I don't want revelation knowledge. Because every time God gives me revelation knowledge, he's going to give me a thorn in the flesh. Who would want revelation knowledge? That, 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 that's misconstrued. Even though many teachers say Paul has so much revelation knowledge, God had to humble him. Revelation knowledge will never produce pride. It is impossible to have a revelation of God and to lead to pride. Look at Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live upon a people of unclean lips. How many people do we see in the Old Testament and New Testament, but especially in the Old Testament, who had a revelation of God and they thought they were a dead man? You cannot get a revelation of God and be lifted up in pride. Even if you are the most arrogant person on the planet, you get a revelation of God like Nebuchadnezzar, you will be humbled. Like Darius and many kings of, in the times of Daniel, you will be humbled if you get a revelation of God, no matter how arrogant you think you are. And I can show you many, many other examples of that, that they will be humbled. Okay? 
You can't get a revelation of God in pride. He won't give it to you. You can't get it. You cannot get a revelation of knowledge if you're in pride. You just can't. It won't happen. Okay? You can't only you can only get a revelation of God when you humble yourself. What's humility? You know, the best example I have of humility is David and Goliath. King Saul and the armies of Israel were wallowing in fear and insecurity for 40 days. It wasn't David's job to take out Goliath, it was Saul's job. And of anybody else, the armies of Israel, to take out the enemy. But David comes on the scene, he didn't come to pick a fight, he didn't come to go to war. He came to bring cheese and crackers to his brothers because his brother, father Jesse told him to. He comes on the scene and he hears this uncircumcised Philistine defying the armies of the living God. And there's something that rises up in him. Because the armies of Israel and Saul are comparing themselves to Goliath and his size and his stature. David comes on the scene and he's focused on God's covenant with the nation of Israel, which she included him. David was hum the most humble person on the scene because David was trusting God. He was not trusting himself. He was not trusting Saul. He was not trusting the armies. He was not trusting even Goliath. He was trusting God. Insecurity is pride in the opposite direction. But it's insecurity, when you are insecure, when you are discouraged and depressed, and I've been there many times. I've been There have been many times, even as a pastor, I've been... I had my thumb in my mouth, wallowing in my pain, my insecurity, and my my unhappiness, whatever that is. And that's nothing but pride. Because all I'm focused on in those moments is me. I'm not focused on God. I'm not focused on anyone else. I'm not focused on what he's called me to do or who he says I am. I'm focused on me and my opinion of me. And that's pride. And that makes me insecure. And that, that insecurity makes me ineffective. But David... He was trusting God. And that's why he took on Goliath. That's why he spoke up. He was, he was the most humble. Another example of humility is Esther. Who was trusting who she was. Not trusting uh, what uh, Haman was doing. And what other people were doing. I can give you more and more examples of humility. Okay. Again Peter says. Humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in due time. Paul was not in pride. Carnal knowledge is what causes you to puff up, not revelational knowledge. Revelational knowledge will cause you to cause you to bow your knee. You will you will bow prostrate before God if you if you have a revelation knowledge. A revelation of God, His grace, His mercy, His goodness, His majesty will cause you to humble yourself. But carnal knowledge will puff you up. Okay, Paul was attaining so much revelational knowledge that the kingdom of God was advancing. He was turning the world upside down with Jesus, or right upside up. Paul was obtaining so much revelational knowledge, Paul was destroying the kingdom of darkness. Paul was an enormous threat to the devil. And so the devil wanted to destroy him. Okay, yet myself, I would not vote success in my infirmities. Um... He mentions it here, mentions verse 9, he mentions it again, verse 10. Again, we already mentioned that this thorn is, uh, well, I was going to go somewhere else, but I guess not. This infirmity was this constant demonic assault on his mission, his purpose, as an apostle. And how did it come out? It came out in persecutions, it came out in tribulations, 
And it came out of afflictions. How do I know that? Because he spent several verses of chapter 11 explaining what these affirmities uh, was. And we're going to go there in just a moment. He suffered greatly for the gospel's sake. Why did he suffer for the gospel's sake? Do you remember when he was converted in Acts chapter 9? Ananias prayed for him. And God told Ananias, For I will show him, Paul, who was Saul at the time, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul went through a lot of suffering. And he listens to those things. Paul's ministry. Revelation are beyond measure. He wrote most of the New Testament letters, but he had tremendous power and signs and wonders flowing through his ministry. He was constantly being persecuted and afflicted for the gospel's sake, and the people recoiled and drew back in fear. Why did they recoil? If something happened, and I think this is my notes, so I'm going to leave that in my thought. How many of you today will continue to preach the word and make a moral stand for sexual purity and government, corruption and government? If they saw me or another pastor or minister that they esteem being coming under an assault. Most of us, or a lot of us, if you saw a pastor that you admired, whether that be me or someone else or all of us, come under constant assault, severe assault, some of you would recoil in fear. Because if they're going to do that to pastor so-and-so, they're going to do that to me. And some of us would go in fear. And that's what was happening. Paul was, was reaching a lot of people. This specifically in Galatia, where a lot of this comes from, but <coughs> but because they saw what the government and the religious leaders were doing to Paul, they were they they backed down themselves because like if this is going to happen to Paul, what might happen to us? And so uh, that's how persecution works. You cut off the head, and the, the, the others will rattle. And so uh, a lot of times they will come after the the, big, the, the ones who are. Uh, making a lot of impact because if they can get, if they can, not only they're not only they're trying to destroy the messenger, but they're also trying to destroy the message by putting fear. When persecution gets severe in the world, in certain countries, people start recoiling. People start going in their caves, so to speak, and if they, and because because fear. Fear is powerful. Fear is a torment. Fear, fear will be a paralytic when people will recoil. Okay? And, people, and, and fear, many people will quit the church and even quit on God through severe persecution. That's how persecution works. That's the goal of persecution from the world and the religious world standpoint. That's what they're trying to accomplish, okay? But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul begins to talk about some of the things that he went through. I'm going to fast forward to some of this because we talked about this last week. He's he talking about how I'll speak as a fool. I'm not going to read all this specifically. Um, and then he, took, then he talks about what he went through. He says, In labors, in abundant stripes, above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes minus one, three times, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I have been in the deep. <coughs> but Paul also stood up before God's false apostles, false teachers. He stood up against corrupt governments. Okay? He stood up against every, How do I know that? He went before kings. He went all the way to Caesar. Okay? Uh, everything that stood against the kingdom of God, Paul stood up against. And Paul preached the kingdom of God in such a way that he faced constant demonic assaults 
from both the Roman government but also religious uh, fanatics. Okay, and so he goes on with the list from the Jew. I, I read this verse 26. And journeys often, and perils in water, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils of the, in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, and, and weariness, and toil, and sleeplessness often, and hunger, and thirst, and fastings, that, mean, that means without food, uh, and for a spiritual purpose, and cold, and nakedness. He goes on to say, besides the other things... <laughs> And that was enough. What comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. He has a pastor's heart. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble. I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. He's been talking about this over and over again. He's going to boast in his infirmity. What infirmity? The infirmity that he just mentioned in the last several verses over and over again. All the things that he went through. How many of you... Infirmity can also be sickness, and I'm going to get there. Uh, I think that's where I'm coming up with next. It's not only plural, but the word infirmity is also the lack of strength, weakness, illness, suffering, calamity, and frailty. How many of you, if you went through some of what Paul went through, or even with just one of the things that he mentioned, you would be a little weak? You might even be ill if you've been stoned and left dead. Okay? Been left in the deep and shipwrecked. Suffering, calamity, frail. I mean, we'd be a little frail if uh, if you went through what Paul went through. Even just a little bit of that. Even just one of the things. Some of us we go through something and we, we're a crybaby. And and I'm, I'm not trying to be belittle. I'm not trying to belittle that. Just, like compared to Paul, what you're going through is nothing. And I'm not trying to be soft on that. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be mean. Okay. I'm just uh, compared to Paul. Uh, we're going through nothing compared to what he went through. Okay. But my point is, but we pick on Paul. As if he was weak and God had to humble him. Until you get revelation of knowledge of God and what he went through, I think we need to keep our religious mouth shut. Okay? And so some of you think I am really going through some stuff. Well, actually, I'm going to go there. I cut that out. Uh, you'll have to read that from last week. Okay? I'm trying to go through this fast because I taught this last week. I'm trying to get some new stuff. But in 2 Corinthians 6.4, Paul said, he talks about the qualifications for ministry. And he says, approving in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Many people boast in their, that they're a minister. Well, here's the qualifications. And much patience, and afflictions, and necessities, and distresses, and stripes, and imprisonments, and tumults, and labors, and watchings, and fastings. That means without food. Okay. And there are some things that approve you as a minister. And many of the qualifications that people talk about today are not even in Scripture. Okay? There's a matter of teachings in Timothy and Titus that talk about the qualifications of the minister. See, I'm not going there right now. That's not what the teaching is. But my thing is, uh, some of us are boasting in our qualifications, just like the Corinthians were boasting in their qualifications, and Paul didn't list any of those things as his qualifications. He just talked about his qualifications right here of what he went through as a minister. And some of these things that people have gone through, uh, the things that are listed here, but the list goes on. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love, by love and fame, by the word of God, truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report. Has anyone ever given you an evil report? Well, welcome to the ministry. 
and good report, and deceivers, and yet true, as unknown, and yet well, well known, as dying, and behold, we live as chastened, and not killed, as sorrowful, as yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. He lists a lot of the qualifications of ministry, and yet some people I see on Facebook, they're competing for the ministry. Who would compete for that? Okay, for that list. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be mean here, but I, why do I bring this up? Because in Corinthians, in the context of the thorn in the flesh, the Corinthians were boasting in their credentials. And twice in Corinthians, not only in chapter 11 and 12, but also in chapter 6, prior prior to, he he lists the qualifications of ministers. There's some other ones listed in Timothy and Titus, which we'll cover another 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 time, but. He, he is just listing his qualifications. In other words, this is really just a side note because I see so many people on Facebook, especially, boasting in their credentials, boasting in their qualifications. There's not a competition for that. We are preaching the gospel. We're trying to bring as many into the kingdom as possible. And if you bring thousands to the kingdom and I only bring one, praise God for you. Okay? I just... You need to be faithful to what God's called you to do, and I need to be faithful to what God's called me to do, and we need to be faithful to what God has called us to do collectively. But if you want to boast, there's a list of all the things that we will go through. Because anyone who's gone through, been in ministry, they have known, they might not have gone as severe as Paul's done, but I don't know about you, but I had the bullseye on my back for a long time being in ministry. I got through many of those things, not all those things, and not, not even severe as much as he has gone through it. And I'm not boasting those things. I just say I can relate to some of those things. Okay? Anyway, I'm not going there right now. Uh, again, a thorn to the flesh would give me a message of Satan to buffer me. Again, this is not a message of God. This is a message of Satan. So let me scroll through some of this real quick. Sorry, I should have taken some of this out. Satan was, was trying to knock uh, Paul down and not, not so he would be exalted. He was trying to buffet him. Satan would love to buffet and kill this church, just like he would try to kill in, uh, Paul's ministry. And Satan has tried to do that. Uh, and we're, we're going to look at some scriptures here in a moment where at least 40 people came. Their, their main aim, they said in the book of Acts, they were not going to eat or, they eat or sleep until they killed Paul. At least 40 men were going to do that. And yet our church, just this church, and I feel like we're very insignificant compared to Paul and his influence, but we do have an international impact. We have 14,000 people who watch on a regular basis. And Satan would try to do anything to kill this church. And he has tried before. And I, I'm not going to go there this morning and lay into this, uh, uh, all the details of that. But this phrase, the thorn in the flesh, I, I, I mentioned last week, that he took this right out of Scripture. And he took it right out of three passages of scripture, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this morning. I'm just going to listen for you this morning. Numbers 33, 55, when he told the Israelites through Moses, says, when you go into the promised land, you drive out all these nations. He told them, and he said, if you don't do that, it will become a thorn in your side, the ones that you leave behind, the ones that you don't uh, drive out. He said, it will be a thorn in the flesh. This thorn in the flesh was also found in Joshua 23. Joshua succeeded Moses. And at, towards the end of Joshua's ministry, the Lord rebuked Joshua for not driving out all of them. And he says, 
And it says, look, the Lord will God will no longer drive them out. Why? Because they fell. They didn't do what God told them to do. And they will now be scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Okay? And then also in the book of Judges, that succeeded Joshua. He rebuked Israel again, restating what he told them in Joshua 23, this thorn in your side. My point? I'm not talking so much about Joshua right now in the promised land. I'm talking about this phrase, thorn in the flesh, Paul being the Pharisees of Pharisees, he knew this term. And more likely, the Israelites knew this term too. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not from God. God was exalting Paul through his revelations. The devil knew, I better stop this guy and bring him down. How many of you know that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? If you're not suffering persecution to some level, it might not be severe. Maybe it's just your family rejecting you. Maybe it's just a, a few people rejecting you. Someone says something mean to you. Uh, someone hurts your feelings. Okay? If you're not suffering some type of persecution, perhaps you're not desiring to live godly. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Some more severe than others. Some lesser than others. But all, all means all. Okay? And as soon as you trust God in your life and in ministry... How I many you know we're all able ministers? You don't have to be from our pulpit. You just have to proclaim Christ to your family, to your loved ones, in your workplace, whatever. And how many of you know you can get persecuted? Even on a smaller scale. Okay? As, but when you start trusting God in your life, bam, you will get hit by the devil. Okay? And you get back up and begin trusting God again, and then bam, you get hit again. Why? Because the devil is trying to discourage you. He's trying to dishearten you. He's trying to buffet you again and again and again. So that you back up, you back down, and you back out and you quit. That's what he's trying to do. And he will use people. He will use religious people. He will use people of your own family. He'll use your own dog against you. He'll use whatever he can to buffet you. But I'm going to enter God's kingdom. With God's kingdom reigns. Okay, let me skip through some of this. Um, but I mean, no, no matter what demonic assault we come under, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We need to think in line with his goodness towards us. We need to be in line with the scriptures, with his covenant, just like David was. I don't care what uncircumcised Philistine comes against us. I don't care if Goliath was ten times the size as he was. I know my covenant relationship with God. I know his promises. I know his word. I know my God. Okay? <clears throat> and I know that his grace is sufficient in weakness. Uh, I want to fast forward a little bit here. Um, <clears throat> many have taught that Paul's thorn was an age and eye disease. I want to deal with this for a little bit. Okay? Where does this come from? It comes from the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Let me read a little bit of context here. Paul says, you know that because of the physical infirmity, he's talking to the church of Galatia. Now, we're not Corinthians now, we're not Corinth, we're now Galatia. Of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. I'll come back to that. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise. I had a trial, I had infirmity, you didn't despise me. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Verse 15. What then? 
was a blessing you enjoyed, for I bear with you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. They supported Paul. When he first came there, he had infirmity. They supported him. He said, but have I therefore become your enemy now because I tell you the truth? They loved the guy and treated him like an angel. He starts teaching the truth, and now they want to kill him. Okay? So, in Galatians 4, 13 to 16, the context, and even the context surrounding these verses, Paul saying, I came to you the first time with an infirmity. You did not reject me. You treated me like an angel. And now I tell you the truth, and I have become your enemy. I don't know about that. Welcome to the ministry. Because I've seen that happen over and over and over and over again. Not only in my life, but other ministers I know as well. We live in a culture that despises the truth. We live in a culture, even a church culture at times, that hates the truth. Okay? I'm not saying this goes all circles, but in some circles this has been true. There will be opposition to the truth. Until Jesus comes, there will be opposition. While there's still a devil, there will be opposition to the truth. If you hunger for the truth, if you desire the truth, if you speak the truth, you, anyone who desires to be godly, you will be persecuted. You will come under assault in this culture through messengers of Satan that will try to bother you. Okay? He says in verse 13 that when I came to you at the first time, I had this physical infirmity. But whatever the infirmity was, he doesn't specify what it was, he got over it. Okay? Because he said it was at the first. He didn't say he still had it. He said he got over it. He was ill. Even if it was Asian eye disease, which I totally disagree with, he got healed. And we can too get healed. The reason I'm teaching this is because people think that he had an illness, an Asian eye disease, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For you. Well, if his grace is sufficient, then his grace means that we can get healed. Okay? If you understand grace. Anyway, we're not going there right now. Galatia is made up, just like region of Galatia. Now we're just talking geographically. Galatia is made up of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. It's part of his first missionary journey that Paul went on. Okay? There's other cities and communities within Galatia, but those are the ones that come up in Scripture. Those are the ones that come up in, in the writings of Paul and also writing of Luke in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 corresponds with Galatia. We might not think of it Galatia because we don't, he doesn't say Galatia, but he does mention these cities that are in Galatia in Acts chapter 14. That's how, that's how we know it's Galatia because these cities are mentioned there. Okay? In Galatia, in the context of Galatians 14, Acts 14, Luke wrote this in verses 1 to 18, a man gets healed and the people get upset. That's one reason why I loathe religion, because I don't understand religious thinking that gets upset when someone gets healed. I've seen religions, I've seen churches today, in modern today, get upset when someone gets healed. I believe if someone gets healed, we should rejoice. Okay? If your mind your mind is sick, if you don't think it's good to, good as God to heal somebody, and yet some circles, some Christian circles, say it's Satan who's healing people. I mean, that, that is just sick. That's just wrong to the highest core. But anyway, back to the man gets healed, the people get upset, 
They're already upset about the grace message. They don't like it. Okay? And the spirit of religion hates grace. Because grace, grace is filled with God's goodness, God's love, God's mercy, God's acceptance, and the list goes on. Legalism always persecutes grace. One example of this, Paul said in Galatians 4.29, as he who is born according to the flesh, he's talking about Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that is Isaac, he, 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 he's comparing the two, even so it is now. And I, I've done a big teaching on this before in the past, but the spirit of persecution, which is Ishmael persecuting Isaac, is going on even now. Okay, I'm not teaching on that right now. I'm going through this a little fast because I want to get to what I want to get to this morning. Okay, so man gets healed, the people get upset. They're already upset about the grace message, but now they're thinking about killing Paul. They loved him when he first came. They thought he was an angel sent by God, but now they're thinking about killing the guy. Okay, we pick it up in Acts chapter verse 19. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they are, those are Galatian cities, came there where he was at. Where was he? He was actually in Lystra. And having persuaded the multitudes in Lystra, they stoned and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Okay, that's what was going on here. Okay, I'm going to show you in just a moment, but Antioch and Iconium are at least 60, 30 miles away. These people from Antioch and Iconium were so mad at Paul that they didn't have modern transportation with cars, subways, buses, taxis, whatever, airplanes. They, took, they went out of the way to go to Lystra to kill Paul and to cause trouble. Okay? That's what was going on. In verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him after he was supposed to be dead, they got around him. They had a resurrection service because they got around him, and he rose up and went to. He went back into the city. I mean, that's the tenacity of Paul. He gets dragged out of the city, supposed to be dead. He gets resurrected, and he goes back in. And the next day, he departed from with Barnabas to Derby. Derby is still in Galatia. It's about 15, 20 miles uh, away from there, and. So let's look at this. Paul was, had people so mad at him, the thorn in the flesh to buffet him on a, a continual basis, a messenger sent from Satan to buffet him, stirred up people all the way from Antioch and Iconium who came down to Lystra, about 60, 30 miles to do that. And they stirred up the people against him in Lystra themselves and stoned him and left him for dead. Paul gets raised from the dead. Basically speaking, okay, we don't know if he might have been dead. We don't know. Because even Paul said that he was, he was, he was dead multiple, multiple times. The disciples gather around him. He gets up. He goes back into the same city. He just got stoned uh, or, or killed. And then the next day he goes all the way to Derby to preach the gospel. Okay? And we're not done yet. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, and made many disciples, they returned again to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. These were the people that tried to kill him. Why did he go there? To strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. He wasn't preaching to the persecutors. 
he was preaching to those who were still of the faith in Croatia. How many of you know, if you preach the gospel, you have a revival, and some people, a mob gets mad at you, kills you, drags you outside the town, leaves you for dead, how many of you know the people that you just ministered to in a revival could scatter? Paul didn't care about his life. He cared about the people that he ministered to, to encourage them in the faith. And saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Paul went back to Lystra where he was stoned, excuse me, and then Iconium where the crowd, and Antioch where the crowd was stood up. These people came to Lystra to kill him in stoke trouble. And Paul went back to preach the gospel to them, strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Welcome to the ministry. That's, what the, that's why he, he elaborates on so much about this in, in the book of Corinthians. He lists all of the things that he has to go through. He lists in chapter 6, he lists in chapter 11. And it's, that's what he calls the thorn of the flesh. How many know some people keep killing you? People will keep dragging you out of the city while you're trying to preach the gospel. That is a thorn in the flesh. And that is a perfect Excuse me, a messenger of Satan. How many of you know these people coming to drag them out and doing all this stuff is not was not inspired by God? That was demonic, trying to destroy Paul's ministry. And how many of you know Satan didn't win? Because Paul kept going back into the city. At least at least Lystra, he went three two more times back in. He went back in the next day with the Derby. After Derby, he had a revival there. He goes back to Lystra. Iconium and Antioch and preaches the gospel. It, they didn't stop Paul. They tried to kill the man, but he rose up again and he went back and preached the gospel all the more. Why does Satan move upon religious people to attack the church and even governments to attack the church? Why does he do that? He's been doing that since the garden. Why has he been doing that? Because he, the devil is trying to discourage you. He's trying to get you to deny the faith. It's called the fight of faith. But Paul wants us to continue in the faith. Okay? I mean, you know, not only does a pastor get persecuted, but sometimes the people, because the pastor or minister gets persecuted, the people scatter. And so sometimes we have to continue, as pastors and ministers, we have to continue to help people to encourage them to go on. Okay? Compared to Paul, it amazes me how many people over nothing give up on God, they give up on the church. And they give up on the pastor and the minister. Yet Paul didn't give up, no matter what he went through. They didn't scare this guy away. You know, and many have fainted in the race of faith, in the fight of faith. But Paul makes a statement. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. If you are born again, you are already in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is already inside of you. Okay? The kingdom of God is God's rule in your life, his reign in your life, his lordship in your life. He's Lord. Okay? It's his dominion in your life. There's many more things about the kingdom of God, but that's what I'm focusing on right now. Where there's a kingdom, there's a king who has a rule, reign, worship, and dominion over something. And we're not talking about a natural kingdom, we're talking about a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom. In the kingdom of God, you're already in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. And But when you are, are born again, you are a convert. You are not yet a disciple. 
you're going to be discipled. You're going to go through the process of discipleship if you are a true convert. You're going to learn of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But how many know that's a process? Discipleship is a process. Okay? You are yielding as you grow to the Lordship of Christ. It's a process. And during that process, the enemy is going to try to take you down and try to take you out. And you're going to have to get back up, and you're going to have to enter that kingdom again and again. It's not that you lost your salvation, but we, the violent, will take you by force. And we are not going to back down. We are going to enter God's kingdom again and again. And sometimes this is just a mental thing where, you know, the enemy tried to take me out, but I'm coming right back into God's kingdom. I know who I am. I know what I have. I'm, I'm the kingdom of God. I'm a child of God. Like David with Goliath. Who, who is this uncircumcised filth in that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'm going to do and be who God has called me to be. I'm a child of God. I'm even in a better covenant than David. And I'm not only going to take down the Goliath, but I'm going to take down the whole army of, his, of the Philistines and get them to the carcasses of the, of the birds of the air. Okay? I mean, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against every principalities and powers. We're not against people. We're not against governments. We're against the, the, the spirit of God, the spirit of the darkness that is uh, leading and guiding those governments and people. Okay, so we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. There's a war going on, and it's been going on since the garden. The war will eventually end. We know that we win, but how many know that many hearts will wax cold of, in fear? seeing the things going on in the earth for persecution. Today, if you just stand up for purity, you will be assaulted. Because all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Today, if you just stand up for Jesus, you will be accosted. You will be mocked if you stand for the word of God. If you just stand for godliness, you will be persecuted. And you will go through tribulation. Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. There's long-suffering involved. There's perseverance involved. There's tribulation involved. Okay? Christ saved us from a lot of things. His salvation is from a lot of things. But he did not save us from persecution. He promised us we will be persecuted if we desire to live godly. Okay? Well, that doesn't sound like a very encouraging message, Pastor. Well, I'm trying to encourage you because you're going to go through some things. We're going to face some things until Jesus comes. And I'm trying to just like Paul went back to these cities to try to encourage them in the faith, I'm trying to encourage you in the faith. That's what I'm trying to do here, okay? Paul had so many people mad at him, through the and that's why Satan, through the storm of the flesh, a message Satan sent them to bumper him, disturbed the people all from various towns and communities, from even far away, disturbed people against him to leave him for dead. In Acts chapter 23, it's totally different context. But it's speaking of Paul, about Paul. And when it was a day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would not eat or drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. Remember I talked about this a minute ago? Over 40. And these were Jews who banded themselves together under an oath to kill Paul. Okay, religious people hated Paul. And religious people will hate you. Okay, I am, but me personally, and just like Paul, and I don't do this perfectly, I am not moved when I receive animosity from the world. 
Because if I'm a friend of the world, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm an enemy to God. I don't care about. I, I have some people recently on Facebook uh, from the world mock and attack me, assault me, accosting me in a very. It was had nothing to do with. Anyway, had nothing to do with nothing. Yet they accosted me because of my faith in God. You know what? I'm, do I like that? No. But that's actually very affirming. Because that tells me I'm desiring to live godly. That tells me I'm a child of God. Okay? And I just don't have time for that junk. Okay? Uh, they killed Jesus. They, ki they killed all of the apostles. They tried, to they tried to boil John. He wouldn't die. They tried to kill Paul several times. He just would not die. Uh, and they tried, but they, they did eventually uh, behead Paul. Okay? But if you really stand for God, they will want to kill you. They may or may not succeed, but they won't want to, because that's what hatred is. But all who desire to live godly will be suffering. I just want to give you a brief little map real quick about Galatia, just so you can understand the context real quick. There's not a major point, but Antioch to Iconium, these are the, the cities right here, Antioch, Iconium, Derby, uh, Mystra is right here, okay? Uh, Antioch to Iconium is 60 miles. These people came 60 miles just to buffet Paul and kill him. Uh, Iconium to, to Lystra is another 20 miles, okay? And Lystra to Derby is another 30 miles, okay? And so, anyway, they didn't have modern transportation back then. That's, that's a long, that's, 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 a, that's a several days journey just on foot or horseback or camel or however they travel, okay? But when Paul said, I had a physical infirmity at the first time I came, and then he goes on to say, and they talked about how he was rose again, having he got, was dragged out of town and left for dead, and then he departed to Derby and whatnot, and then he goes back to the city, because he says that he returned back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, how many of you know, if you were stoned and left with dead, that you're going to have several infirmities in your flesh? Huh? How many know, even if you're raised from the dead, that you might not still have some battle wounds? You might not still have some scars and bruises? I'm not saying he did. I'm not saying he didn't. But how many of you know, Paul never said what his infirmity was, his weakness was. How many of you know, we just get, even if he had no physical infirmities, how many of you know, we get a little frustrated? I'm trying to preach the gospel, and these people keep dragging me out of town and me. They interrupted my message. How many of you know it just would get a little irritating after a while? How many of you know a thorn in the flesh is an irritation? It would just get a little old. <coughs> you know God can raise you back up. You know you might just go right back into town. But how many of you know it, it gets old after a while? Okay? But he that has him infirmities. Okay? But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm going to just move forward from here. Um, now we read all that context. Um, but he talks about, again, how this thorn in the flesh would give it to him time and time again to buffet him, to tear him down. I want to move on, though. We talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. I could talk more about this, but let's get to Timothy's uh, stomach issue. Okay? There is all these again, traditions again, just like with the Paul sword in the flesh, there's all these traditions that surround the Timothy's stomach issue that we need to address. Why am I addressing these? Because they all have to do with healing. We've been talking about healing for months now. But many people will use these examples, like Timothy and Paul sword in the flesh, 
they would have gotten in the Coliseum against Kennedy's issue. But if you pay attention to the scriptures, the word of God will put faith in you to overcome not only these traditions, not only these wrong teachings, but more importantly, will get you healed. Okay? In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 21 to 25, Paul was speaking to a young pastor named Timothy. And in this, in this, that's the context, he said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Let's just stop there for a moment. Whatever he's going to say, it's not a suggestion. It's not a, an advisement. I advise you. No, it's a charge. When it's a charge, it's also a commandment. It's a New Testament commandment. By Apostle Paul, he's charging them before he's charging them before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the like angels. This is a pretty strong statement he's going to be making here. That you observe these things without prejudice, without partiality, without favoritism. Okay? The first one that he deals with before we get to his stomach issue. Don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. I'm going to get there in just a moment. Let's deal with this one first. first. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. He's talking about putting people in position of ministry or authority. He said he already said it earlier in chapter three. He's in chapter five right now. But two chapters earlier, chapter 3, he talked about how we should not put a novice into positions of authority. Who's a novice? Someone who's unlearned. They're new. They're a rookie. That maybe they're just born again. And they haven't been discipled yet to be in ministry. And it's not, it's not about how many years of discipleship or how long they've been. How many of you know... There's just put ministry, just put put Christianity aside for a moment. I mean, just you know, socially, for some people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they still haven't matured yet. They still haven't grown up yet. There's some people that have been walking with God for for years and decades. They still have not matured yet. I'm not saying they're not born again, and I'm not trying to put them down by saying they're immature. But just talking with them. They're not grounded in the Word of God. There's some people that try to argue doctrine with me, and they'll never give me one scripture. And yet I can give them thousands. And I'm not trying to boast of me. I'm just like, if you want to have an argument with me about doctrine, then you better have some scripture. Because I'm not going to... Your doctrine, if it's based on the traditions of men and not the Word of God, it's not going to be effective. I go on and on about this. But we should not put a novice and we should not lay hands on people suddenly. In haste. Let's read some of this. And at the beginning, in, in 1 Timothy 3, he says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of a bishop, a pastor, he desires a good work. I will support anyone who wants to be a pastor. But he also explains out the, the, the qualifications for a pastor, for a bishop. A bishop that must be blameless. The husband of one wife. They're not sleeping around, okay? <coughs> They're temperate. That means they're self-controlled. They're sober-minded. 
of good behavior. They're hospitable. I've known some pastors, they got all their qualifications, but they have no hospitality in their bones whatsoever. They're able to teach. They might love God. They may desire to be a bishop. That's a good thing. I love that. That's awesome. But, but they can't teach. Why can't they teach? I'm not just talking about not having to get some teaching. That may come into effect. They don't know the Word of God. They're still novice. They're still learning. They have no foundation. And I, I'm not saying they can't get there. They can. But I get a lot of people um, online through Facebook want want me to approve them for ministry. I don't even know them yet. Let alone what they teach. And some of their Facebook posts, I don't agree with 90% of them. So I'm not talking about everybody, but some of them, I don't agree with them because what they're posting, what they're preaching, is not gospel. It's not true. It's, it's got a little bit of a mixed in there. I'm not attacking everybody with that brush. But I need the Bible says in another context, Know those who labor among you. No, you got to know them. I don't even know them. And they want me to support them. I'm not saying we can't get there. I'm not saying no inevitably. But until we build a relationship, I know you, I'm not going to publicly announce you as a co-laborer in the ministry. You might have an awesome ministry, but I don't know you. I can't, unless the Holy Spirit tells me otherwise, I can't, I can't affirm that. I can't put my, my lay hands on that. Okay? Not given to wine. And yeah, he's going to talk about wine in this moment. Not, he's not given to wine. Not being drunken. Not being a subject of wine. Not being under the dominion of wine. Not being letting wine be your lord and your master. Not violent. Not greedy. There are some pastors out there who are very greedy. Okay? I'm not saying you can't act. It's a, it doesn't say you can't ask for money. Don't be, there's a difference between asking for a ministry, and Paul talks a lot about how they have a right to do that. There's a difference between being greedy for money. I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to prosperity. But gentle. Not, <coughs> not quarrelsome. Have you met some pastors who are just so arrogant? They're quarrelsome. About everything. They're not covetous. One who rules his own household. They're good, but they can't govern their own family well. Okay? Uh, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not... He, this is parentheses. For if a man does not know how to rule in his own house, how will he take care of his own church? Uh, of, the, of the church of God. And then he says, not a novice. Well, that's being puffed up with pride. He fall into the same condemnation as the devil. That's some very strong language there. Okay? Moreover, he must have a good I'll come back to this. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside as he fall to reproach in the snare of the devil. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. i got to deal with these other ones in just a second. If I put someone in authority prematurely before they're tested and before they're approved, I could do great damage to them. And if I put, if I put a, great, a damaged person into ministry, that damaged person could damage you. And because I put hands on it, because I, I affirmed it, people are now, now not going to trust me. 
I just, just, I just did great damage to the church. I damaged that person, they damaged you, and now because you're damaged, you, my ministry, my ministry to you is now damaged too. Okay? So, Paul charges Timothy, do not publicly place people in authority suddenly, hastily. There's a time and a place for that. But it's not the first time you meet them. It's not through a Facebook post and you don't even know them. All you know is a name. Okay? Unless the Holy Spirit tells me otherwise, like he gives me a vision like he told Ananias to go to Saul, who was a persecutor of the church at the time, go and lay hands on him and anoint him in the ministry. If, Paul, if God gives me a vision like that, I'll do it. Ananias didn't want to. But Ananias got a vision and he obeyed God. And we're all grateful that he did. Okay? Do not let nor share in other people's sins. People, I believe in the love of God. I believe in the mercy of God. I believe in the grace of God. I believe in the forgiveness of God. And I will love you unconditionally. And I will not condemn you, but I will not condemn sin. And I won't be a partaker of other people's sins. I'm not going to totally go here, but I'm going to mention it. Anything that's not a faith of sin. I'm not going to condone unbelief. Okay? I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm also not going to say amen to your unbelief if that were to come out. This is a command under the grace of God. Why? Because he charges you before God, before Jesus Christ, before the most elect angels. I charge you, don't participate in other people's sin. Okay? If everyone is going to hell, I'm not going. And I won't let you go without a fight. I don't care if the dark world is being depraved and depravity. I am not permitted to participate in this church for the help and grace of God. We're not going to participate either. Sorry, I thought the screen was there. I'm not going to condemn you. But I'm also not going to condone sin. I'm not here to condone sin, but I'm here to set you free from sin. And I will preach against sin. Okay? Why am I going here? Because that's what's in, that's in context here. We're getting to Timothy's stomach issue. Keep yourself pure. Again, this is a New Testament command because Paul charged us to keep ourselves pure. To be pure. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. Some people say, Pastor, I've been walking with the Lord. Look at it. Of course I'm pure. Bible also says, see, everyone who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Okay? No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, it has, that has nothing to do with the weakness of your flesh. And it has nothing to do with temptation. Any of us, including Paul at the time, could be tempted with the lust of the flesh and the temptation. Now he goes on, verse 23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy own infirmities. This is still under the same charge and command. This is a charge. This is a commandment. Timothy, quit drinking the water. Now, is he, condem is he condemning water? No. Okay, hold on. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy own infirmities. 
I gotta come back to this, but let me read the context still. Some men's sins, this is still part of the charge, are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some follow later. Likewise, the good of works of some are clearly evident, and uh, those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. I just want to teach on this real quick because it's part of the same context. Some of our, our sins are open before us, while other sins are hidden before us. I mean, no sin, sin. Okay? If we don't deal with hidden sin, it will come to the light. Likewise, some people's good works are open before all. But how many of our good works are hidden in secret? God says that he will reward us openly. That's really another teaching for another time, but it's in context of what we're talking about, so I bring light to it. Let's go back to verse 23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for their stomach's sake and often for the least. In other words, Timmy, God's, Paul is telling Timmy, quit drinking the water. This is a charge and this is a commandment. How many of you know, geographically speaking, how many of you know we're in a fallen world? Okay, from sin, from Adam's sin. Water is not good everywhere. There are some countries... I don't care how spiritual you are, the water is not good there. Even Mexico, our nearby city, I know many pastors who will not drink the water there. They don't normally drink soda, but while they're there, they're, they're going to drink soda. Because the water there is not good. And if you drink bad water, you will have stomach infirmities. And if you drink it continually, you will have continual stomach infirmities. You could even die. There are some places, no matter how strong your faith is, it is wiser to go with the alternative. And in Peter and Timothy's case, where he was at, it was wiser for him to drink a little wine and stop drinking the water. We make it a spiritual thing when it was just a natural thing. Okay? Or you will have stomach issues. There is a fine line between believing in God or something and tempting God. Okay? How many of you know it says in Psalm 91, For he will should give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways, and they shall bear thee up in their hand, unless thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan used this verse against Jesus in the three temptations. It's a promise. And not discounting the promise. However, there are many traditions around this promise that people have used. And in Psalm 91, using Psalm 91, 11 to 12. And there's a difference between an accident or something happening or persecution or a calamity or something happening, an incident, and you tempting God and purposely jumping off a cliff, quoting Psalm 91. Exactly what Satan did to Jesus. If you jump off the cliff, how many don't he'll protect? He has his angels charge of you in case you dash against the stone. How many you hear my heart here? That's how Satan tempted Jesus. And there's a difference between believing God, trusting God, and just being foolish. Tempting him. I mean, it also says in Mark 16, and these signs will follow those who believe. I'm not going to read the whole context. And if they drink anything deadly, like bad water, it will no means hurt them. 
This is a New Testament promise. I've taught on this before. And there have been, <coughs> but no matter what traditions you have heard, regarding Mark 16, and it is a promise, there's a difference between having an alternative and knowing something is deadly and quoting Mark 16. Maybe you're in a situation where there is no alternative. Maybe you're in a situation where you're being forced to, by persecution, being a hostage to drink the bad water or something poison. That is different than you knowing the water is bad, knowing something is bad, and you quoting St. Mark 16 when you have an alternative like wine or Pepsi or some soda or whatever it might be. How do you know there's a difference between having an alternative and you knowing that something is bad and you tempting God? Standing on promises when you have a natural alternative. Am I making sense? I'm just trying to make some points this morning. But, I mean, no, also in the same context that he talks about, you can take up a serpent. And the same context will apply here. No matter what traditions you've heard, it doesn't mean we just play with deadly snakes. Okay? Tifting God. Paul, what if, he's teaching, he has an apprentice, Timothy, who's a young pastor, who was having some stomach issues. He was charging him about something as a bishop, as a young bishop. He started in chapter 3 and other chapters. He's now in chapter 5. He says, don't lay hands hand, hand suddenly. You're going to have people in your church, people in your ministry, don't lay hands on people suddenly. You're going to have people in your church that don't participating in sin, don't participate with them. He said, don't be pure. As a young minister, as a pastor anywhere, male, female, black or white, no matter what your race is, don't participate in their sin, in their wickedness. Don't lay hands on people sinning. And Timothy, stop drinking the water. You the little wine for their stomach's sake. Why? So you can keep being a pastor? So you don't die prematurely. So you don't keep missing Sunday because you're homesick. What's a stomach issue? Okay? And then all infirmities. Stop doing it, which is a very practical, natural charge and commandment from his mentor, from his apostle, from his leader that he was submitted to. Timothy, quit drinking the water. This is a charge. This is a command. As your leader, as your mentor. Does that mean it's a command to stop drinking water and drink wine? No. Okay? I don't mean facetious here. When you take a text out of a context, you'll be left with a con. Every single time. Okay? Let's move on to... Well, I'm, I'm, basically, I'm out of time, but... Um, Let's see if I can get through some of this real quick. Trophimus. I know you haven't heard of him. Well, he's in 2 Timothy, chapter 4. He says, Greek, Prisca, and Aquila, and the household of Amethyst, Arathus, I'm, I'm so glad we have better names nowadays. I wish they were Joe and Bob. But Arathus stayed in Corinth. But Trophius I have left in Melchior's sake. Paul left this man, Trophium, Trophimus, i got to keep chopping his name up. Sick. 
Paul also left a lot of people in Miltus. Not just sick people, but... I'm sorry. I'm trying to rush, and I'm not reading my notes. Paul also left a lot of lost people. I mean, you know, chances are very high that not everyone in Miltus was saved. They've not changed God's will to save them. I want to heal them. How do you know God left people who were probably brokenhearted in Miltus? Or people who had marriage issues in Miltus? Okay? But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to change them. You can't build a doctrine that it was God's will for Trophus to be left sick. Why am I teaching these things? Why am I talking about these controversial issues? Because people have used these examples of these. It's not always God's will to heal. Okay? I'm not condemning anyone who is being sick or left sick. But I will keep standing for you until you, as long as you live, I will keep standing for you for your healing. I don't know why Paul had to leave him sick. I don't know the whole story. It doesn't tell us. And any interpretation you have or I have is just speculation. And I can't build faith on speculation. If Paul had to leave someone people sick, we might have to leave some people sick. How I many some, some, some towns where Jesus could not heal? For many different reasons. Okay? But it doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the word of God. It doesn't change the will of God. It doesn't change the plan of God. There are probably lost people watching their message right now. I'm not going to pressure them. But many lost people will hear my message today and not believe and not get saved. I'm not going to condemn them. We are committed to seeing you get saved. We are committed to seeing you get healed. We're seeing, committed to you getting delivered and you having marriage restored and in prosperity. God's word is still true. God's will is settled in heaven and earth. And we are going to keep believing. We are going to keep standing. We are going to keep fighting. We are going to keep learning. We are going to keep preaching. Tropius was a preacher. Preachers are not immune to sickness. I'm not immune to sin. Sin or sickness. If a man thinks he's sin, think he lets it fall. I have to resist temptation as well as sickness. Just like you. Just like everybody else. In Acts 14, it talks about how Paul says, we are men with the same nature as you. The King James says, we are men with the same passions as you. Peter said it this way, it's not through our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. Both of these men were apostles. And so sickness, healing did not die with the apostles. These, both these men said that they had no special power. How do people get healed? It's by faith in God and his whether it's Trophius, whether it's Timothy, whether it's Hepatitis, or whatnot, it's available to all of us. So let's do it with the last one. Again, I, I keep talking to things. A lot of people can say things that Hepatitis, but here's the illness. And I'm going to go through this fast, I'm out of time. I trust in the Lord that I myself also come to you shortly, and I consider it necessary to send to you Hepatitis, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, that I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Why? Because it was his buddy. He loved this man. 
It was his fellow worker and companion he loved, Epidotus. Okay? Therefore, I say him to the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and may have less sorrow. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such a man in esteem. Don't think less of Epidotus just because he got sick. Why do I teach that? Because some people will they'll have a grace or faith preacher come and they get sick or even die. And now they discount the whole ministry because someone like that got sick. Okay? Some don't believe in healing. Yet many who do believe judge those who get sick. I've seen many people who believe in healing judge those who get sick. That's wrong. That's evil. Okay? They'll say things like, what's wrong with them? They must have been weak in faith. Religious people can be very mean. And even what I call the grace police people can be very mean as well. God forbid we be like that. Don't judge the sick. Okay? Pray for the sick. Heal the sick. Uh, because for the word of Christ's sake, he came close to death, not regarding his life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just have to finish with this guy, and then I'll deal with Elisha next week in, in closing, uh, before I get into my next message. But because for the work of Christ, he came so close, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. See, what many of us do for the Lord is noble. This man was a minister, but he was also foolish, not taking some rest. He was working himself to death. I, I, I feel not bad because I feel like I'm, I'm speeding over this. Because he said, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life. He wasn't taking care of himself. He was doing a noble thing. He was doing ministry, but he was foolish and not taking some rest and not eating, not taking care of himself, not exercising. I don't know exactly what it was, so I am speculating a little bit here. But how many of you know, if you don't rest enough, your body will be susceptible to sickness. If you don't eat properly, your body will be susceptible to sickness. If you don't exercise properly, if you don't take care of your body, you're immortal. your body is mortal. Okay? You can get sickness, no matter how much you believe in healing. I don't care who you are. You have a mortal body that you need to take care of. If you're going to live long on the earth, okay, you have to honor certain natural laws. And certain natural laws include taking rest, taking a vacation, eating properly, exercising properly. But Ephroditus violated some natural laws. He was a good man, a man of faith, a man of the word. But he also was overworked in the ministry. Therefore, he almost died. Okay? Both Peter and Paul said they have no special power. Neither do you or I. None of us are Superman. It's faith in God's word to get healed. And it's available to all of us. And uh, next week, I'm just, I'm out of time. I'm, I'm, I'm 15 minutes over. And I'll deal with Elisha's next week before I go into my next teaching uh, on this topic of healing. Um, so I don't have a lot of Elisha. I don't mean to keep you hating another week on Elisha. But uh, I just feel bad I'm going over 15 minutes. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Uh, and we'll talk about Elisha next week, and then we'll go back into our next teaching next week as well. So, anyway, God bless you guys. Have a good week. See you then.